How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned into strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to fight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. Thank you, Heidi. Well, Hebrews 11 is a well-known passage of faith. And Hebrews 11 is a passage that has all kinds of great examples. If you look at the entire text, Heidi just read the last uh, number of verses from that text, that, that speak to what a life of faith looks like. And if you're somebody who grew up in the church, you're familiar with these stories. If you're somebody who didn't grow up in the church, I would encourage you to become familiar with these stories because these are great stories of people of faith. Not extraordinary people necessarily, but ordinary people who have done extraordinary things. Yet even when we often look at Hebrews chapter 11, and if it's a familiar passage for you, we often don't spend as much time on the last verses that we looked at just a minute ago and that we, we heard. They're more challenging ones. They're not the stories of faith that we always naturally go to necessarily. They're not necessarily the ones that we sort of grab onto because of the graphic nature of them. Because you see, we, we like the happy endings. We like the stories of great rescue, the stories that everything turns out great in the end. I think that's actually part of our infatuation uh, today with superheroes. You can't watch a movie or a TV show. It seems like every second movie or TV show is about superheroes of some kind. People like to see stories of power, stories of rescue, stories of, of great things that happen. Well, this passage isn't about superheroes. It's something more powerful and more real than that. It was a while back that I came across this sermon uh, by Tim Keller, and he actually preached a sermon uh, many, many years ago on this text that, that deeply impacted me and has influenced me. And he mentions in there how Hebrews is, is written to a people who are suffering. And as Keller puts it in, in that uh, message, he says, this passage points us to something that if you hand, have it, you can handle anything. That if you have it, you can handle absolutely anything that life brings to you. Anything. The question is, is, what is it, and how do we get it? What is it, and how do we get it? And what it is, is it's, it's faith of unique nature. It's a different kind of faith. 
maybe than we sometimes think of. It's resurrection faith. It's faith that is all about the empty tomb. It's faith that comes from when Mary Magdalene and the first disciples, they went rushing to that tomb and to that graveside and wanted to just go and check things out and they realized that the stone was rolled away and that Jesus was gone. That he had done exactly what he said and promised that he would do, that he rose again, that he did not uh, stay in the grave, that he overwhelmed the grave, overcame death, was a living God and a living Savior. That's the resurrection faith that helps us to overcome fears, obstacles, challenges in our lives, whatever it is that life brings us. Because you see, this is Resurrection Sunday. This is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of the risen Savior, of a living God. And this passage helps us to understand that resurrection faith. This passage, I think, helps us actually to bring that resurrection faith into our everyday lives and whatever it is that we experience. See, commentators point to the fact that there's an interpretive key for us to understand in this text, and it's found in verse 35. Because in verse 35, there's sort of a hinge point where where things kind of change. There's a division in this text, and we see that there's kind of two kinds of people that are referred to. There's, There's a first group of people, and then there's a second group of people. What I would just call the first group is just a group of people who have faith that it's sort of a, a group of people with good endings, I would say. But then the second group of people also have faith, but I would describe them as the people with not so good endings. Endings that were kind of different than maybe we would like. And so I want us to look at these two different parts of the story, these two different groups of people. First of all, we'll look at the good endings. We look at verse 32 to 35, you see people who are characterized by weakness, but that weakness becomes strength. Great heroes of the faith. And again, if you've grown up in the church at all, you know some of these stories and you know these names. People like David, people like Gideon, people like Samson, the prophets, how they overcame great obstacles. They did amazing things for God. There was dramatic escapes. There was heroic leadership. There was massive miracles. There were great stories of rescue, and we love to tell those stories. It says in this text that by faith they overthrew kingdoms, people like King David. It said that they shut the mouths of lions. Kids, you're in the story, or in the, in the room here today. Who, who was it that shut the mouths of lions? Daniel. Yeah, so he shut the lo- mouths of lions. Kids, do you know, who was it that quenched the flames and did not get burned by the flames? Who was that? Yeah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, also known as Rakshak and Benny, if you're a VeggieTales fan, right? Yeah, that's what this story is talking about, pointing to these people, pointing to these stories of faith, of these people who, who had incredible things happen to them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it says how they went into the, the flames of fire and nothing even happened to them. They weren't even singed. And in fact, when they came out, their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. Like that's how much God intervened, if you go back to that story in Daniel. And so we love these stories of weakness turned to strength, of whole armies put to flight, Samson, Gideon, David, and others, overwhelming odds, certain death, and then escape and miracles. Man, these are people of incredible faith. Then in verse 35, we come to, I think, what is the pinnacle of the story At the beginning of verse uh, 35, which is the greatest story, it talks about these women in the Old Testament who received back their sons. Their sons who died, and then they came back to life. 
first one is, is the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings chapter 17. In the ministry of Elijah who restored this dead son back to his mother. The second one is the, the Shunammite woman in Elisha's ministry in 2 Kings chapter 4 who also died and who also was returned in a miraculous way to his mother by Elisha's ministry. And so this text is pointing us back to some of those stories. Loved ones coming back to life before their very eyes. I mean, can you imagine the faith of those mothers having their sons restored back to them after they had died? We love these stories. We love to tell these stories. We love to see modern day stories. There are modern day stories of them as well. Real stories. Stories of of things that, that actually happen. People who were diagnosed with cancer. And then friends gather around to pray and they pray over them and there's prayer and fasting and there's incredible faith and then we find that the person is healed, restored to the family. These stories happen. Some of you have experienced these stories. Or you think of a business on the brink of failure and this business is about to collapse and then maybe a new leader comes in or something changes. Something now is different and the business is restored and suddenly... They have like the greatest recorded earnings in the next quarter, and it's incredible. Or maybe it's a political leader who comes out of the business world and isn't given a chance. In fact, everybody kind of laughs and dismisses him and against all odds becomes popular and suddenly is not mocked quite as much but is, has to be taken as a serious contender and a front runner. Or maybe you're somebody who's cheered for the Leafs all your life and then suddenly there's this Stanley Cup run. Hey, that's just ridiculous. Forget that. The modern day stories. I mean, we like modern day stories of triumph and of rescue and of these things that can actually happen and these events that change people's lives. Like in Hebrews. Overthrow kingdoms, mouths shut by lions, walk through fire, escape by the sword, weakness turned to strength, imminent death turned to rescue. Failure turned to success. Just like if you read in the beginning chapters and all the first part of Hebrews chapter 11, you see all kinds of those stories. But here's the thing you have to realize. That if your faith, if our faith ends on the first part of verse 35, that if we just try hard enough, that if we just pray hard enough, that if we just have enough faith that somehow we will always escape, that we will always be rescued, that there will always be success, that it will always work out, You need to know if that's the foundation of your faith, you're doomed. Because it's a very incomplete faith. Because you see, there's part two of the story of this text that we read. It hinges, as I said, on verse 35 because it continues and it changes on the word others. These are the stories of the not-so-good endings. Because it says, but there were others that had a very different story. You see this significant change here. These people of incredible faith, that people that obeyed, the people that prayed, who, who persevered and who walked with God, lived a generous life, filled with faith in all kinds of ways, but it didn't work out so great. It was not such a good ending. I've walked with many people like this. You probably have too. Some of you are those people. People with tremendous faith, people of prayer, people who are generous, people who live sacrificial lives, people who uh, give themselves and their time and their money for the kingdom of God, people who are passionate in all kinds of ways, continuing to walk in faith and yet not having such good endings. 
People who didn't get their sons back, whose businesses failed, whose marriage ended, whose cancer came back, and this time it was terminal. We know those kinds of stories, too. Those kinds of stories are also so very real. Just recently, I, I heard the news, the sad news of a, of a friend of mine, whose name was Lowell, and I served together with him on the uh, MB Mission Board, which I serve on, and we served for a number of years, and so we got to know each other over the years. He lives in Oregon, and uh, Lowell is somebody who I admire greatly and who has lived uh, just a marvelous life. Runs a family business. It's a small family lumber business, and they have, I know, struggled. He's worked at it with his brothers for years and years, and they have had many challenges and many struggles over the years that he has shared about, um, especially when the economic crash of 2008 happened in the States. He was somebody who, um, whose wife struggled with illness in incredible ways, continuously. Always struggled with illness. In fact, she was often has been and continues to be on the brink of death, it seems like. And I know we prayed for her many times. As sometimes he couldn't even make the meetings because she was so ill. Pastored a small church there as well, too, that he did almost on the side because of his love for the church and his love for Jesus. And it was a small little church that also struggled and had lots of challenges and things that he continually struggled to work hard at. And then I remember just a couple of years ago, we heard the news that that the home that this family had grown up in, and all these kids had grown up. Oh yeah, and by the way, he had 10 kids, five of his own, five that he sort of adopted and brought into, that's just kind of the people that they were. Their house burned to the ground. And all their memories and everything that had happened in their lives and all this stuff was gone. And then this week I heard that he passed away. And he died, suddenly. Massive heart failure at 65 years old. He was supposed to be going down to Guadalajara, actually, to join Scott and Marianne and Trevor and Joan with SOAR Mexico and, and so on, because he goes every year, because that's just the kind of guy that he is. Because he loves missions, and he loves Jesus, and he loves the church, and he continually gives of himself all the time. And some might say, Lowell lived a life that just kind of didn't have the not-so-good, it had the not-so-good ending. You might say that. In fact, some might say that he had many of those not-so-good endings in his life. But knowing Lowell, I know that he wouldn't say that. That wouldn't be his sort of summary or statement. Because Lowell is one of those guys who looked beyond the circumstances, looked beyond the pain, looked beyond the obstacles, because he looked beyond the grave. And that's the kind of faith that he had. That's the kind of faith that he lived. He saw beyond the tomb. He saw that it was empty. So we go back to Hebrews, and we see that there were others. There were others who had great faith. There was others who obeyed. There were others who did all the right things, and they had different endings, no intervention, no rescue. Even if you look in the story of Acts, you see that in the early church or go into the Gospels. You think of Peter, for instance. Peter was put in prison, if you remember that story, and then the disciples, they gathered in a room, and they prayed for him, and they prayed earnestly and passionately, and then this angel comes and miraculously opens the prison doors and Peter is restored to his family and friends. It's a great miracle story of rescue. Peter would have been in that first group of really good ending. But then you think of John the Baptist. He too was put in prison. He too would have had disciples who were praying for him. He too was a man of faith who walked obediently before God and did everything before the Lord and 
he was beheaded. Not such a good ending. And so we look at the account at the latter part of Hebrews 11 and we see this very different kind of story. Some were jeered at, their backs were cut open with whips, they were chained in prison. Some died by stoning, others were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing sheeps of skin and goats and were destitute, oppressed, continuously mistreated. The difference here is on the endings, or at least the endings that we see in this lifetime. We see at the end of verse 35 the key to how they could actually live this way because it says that they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Yet here's the amazing thing. These were, for the most part, people who lived without the resurrection behind them. It was something in front of them as a future promise that they held on to of a Messiah who would come. We live in a different standpoint in history looking back and we can point to the empty cross and the empty grave and we can point to the life of Jesus and the death and resurrection of him. But they didn't have that luxury. They looked ahead and understood in faith of what it was going to be You know, the people at the top of the list with the good endings, it's not like they had less faith. They had all kinds of faith. In fact, if you go back to the story in Daniel chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you may remember in that story that they said to Nebuchadnezzar, who was calling them out to kind of worship him and bow down to worship, and they said, we will never do that. And they said, you need to understand that if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us, and he will rescue us from your power your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Now they were rescued, but they had so much faith that they didn't expect a good ending. They had no anticipation, no expectation of that. They thought, you know what, even if God does not rescue us, we will not bow down because we worship a different kind of God. You know, the truth is, is that we often have more of an agenda than we often realize when it comes to our faith. Sometimes people will say, or we'll hear ourselves say, you know, I prayed, I fasted, I had faith, I persevered, I did all the right things, and God just didn't come through. God didn't come through for me. And the reality is, is that may actually reveal more of our agenda for God than it actually reveals about what God has for us. People in Hebrews 11, their, their faith was not in their agenda for God. Their faith was in God. And there's a difference. Because you see, this is resurrection faith. This is a faith that doesn't require success. And in fact, faith that doesn't require success is the ultimate success. Because it trusts God more than it trusts our agenda for God. And it's a faith that is based on the reality and the truth of the resurrection, this empty tomb. And it's what allows us to truly live. You know, the story of the two widows who got their sons back. If you look back at that story over the course of history and in the broad spectrum of things, you realize that those are really just stories of resuscitation. They were really only temporary resuscitations of these lives who these two men eventually did die as well. And so it was a temporary story. Stories of... Great miracles in this life of cured sickness, of being back from certain death, 
for each one of us are actually only resuscitations. Because you see, for the others that are referred to in Hebrews chapter 11, their faith wasn't in the possibility of resuscitations. Their faith was in the absolute certainty of future resurrection. They looked beyond the grave. They looked beyond the immediate, beyond their circumstances, and they saw something in the future that they could hold on to and have no fear. Also in the book of Hebrews, in in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 to 15, it gives this summary statement of the implications of the cross and the empty tomb and Jesus overcoming the grave and what it means for us and how we can actually live in faith. In Hebrews 2, verse 14, it says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. And this points to this resurrection faith that is not about resuscitations that are temporal. But it's about a resurrection that is real. And when we understand that and when we have that kind of faith, it allows us to truly live. Maybe for the first time. When we have actually lost our fear of death. Because you see, Hebrews 11.1 says that faith is to be sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's the kind of resurrection faith that these people lived with. You know, every, every world religion gives us stories. Different kinds of stories. Stories of what happens after we die. But Christianity alone gives more than a story. It gives an actual person who rose from the grave who rose from the dead and lives again as a living Lord. I find it interesting how it seems like almost every year there are magazine covers and stories and articles that come out around this time, interestingly, at Easter, that try to disprove the Easter story in one way or another. And you've seen that. Just go back over magazine covers for decades and you'll see that year after year after year. McLean's Magazine, again, just came out last week. Saw it again. I get that one and it asked that very same question, did Jesus really exist? And how the proof is in that he did not. And I go, how is it that this enduring story for 2,000 years is still debated? If it was a myth, wouldn't it be debunked so long ago? And Paul, he knows that, that this truth of the resurrection is so critical and so important to our faith He says that as he speaks about it, that the claims of Jesus are so critical that he takes great pains to explain the people who saw him. And if you look at at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 15, you see where he talks about all of the people who saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead. He said he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. And he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have died. So he's saying, you can go talk to them. You can go you know, see if their testimony lines up with each other's, because there was hundreds of them who saw him. And then he was seen by James, and later by the apostles. And last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. And Paul, he's speaking, you can only imagine the excitement. He says, you know what, I wasn't one of those true apostles, like one of the early disciples uh, of, in terms of Jesus' as 12, but... I too got to see the resurrected Jesus. I saw him myself. I'm giving testimony to this. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15 and he says, this is really critically important because he says, if 
Jesus, if Christ had not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles could all be lying, would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection from the dead. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. This reality, this truth of the empty tomb that Paul is pointing to over and over again was so central to his gospel, so central to his teaching because he was saying to the people, if you don't believe this or understand this, this is absolutely the crux of what the gospel is all about, is that Jesus Christ not only died on the cross for our sins, but that he rose again and overcame death that we might live. This is the gospel message and the hope of the Easter story. And this is resurrection faith. How was it that so many of those Jews and Greeks at that time changed their worldview overnight because of the resurrected Jesus? That so many of those Jews who had been uh, understood the law of Moses, understood the Torah, understood the future Messiah and all that was going to be promised, but they were waiting for a Messiah that was probably very unlike who Jesus was and how he came and died. They were waiting for Messiah in the first category of the good endings. Somebody who would do a great rescue and everything would be good and it would overturn this Roman government and now would be restored to the true nation of Israel and be just like it was supposed to be. Yet Jesus was jeered and mocked, whipped. He hung on a cross and he died. Just like that group that we read about here in Hebrews. And these people, they changed their faith, because now they had a resurrection faith that changed everything. You might be here today, and maybe, maybe you're living a great rescue story. Maybe you're more part of that first group. And if that's the case, we celebrate with you, and we praise God, because that too requires faith and is an expression and a statement of faith of what God is doing in your life. But maybe your story is one that doesn't feel at all like success to you. Maybe it feels a lot more like the second group of people. A story with not so good endings. A story that doesn't quite leave us with a good taste in our mouth in terms of how we live in this world. You need to know that this resurrection story and this resurrection faith is also for you. In fact, maybe it's even more for you. You see, we need to shift from just our own agenda with God actually just putting our faith in God, whatever his agenda is for us. You need to know that all your pain and disappointment and suffering will be redeemed and you will be glorified when Jesus Christ returns because he has overcome all things. He has overcome the world. But we all need to decide, what do we do with this story? Is it true? Does it resonate? Does it make a difference? And I would encourage you today, as you contemplate this Easter story, the implications of resurrection faith and what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for the overwhelming historical documentation of these events that we read about in Scripture. 
Thank you for all of the hundreds of people who testified and who were alive and who wrote about it and whose lives were transformed, whose worldviews were radically altered because of seeing the risen Savior. And Lord, thank you for the truth of the Gospels that we can see and that we can proclaim and that we can hold on to. And Lord, I pray for each one here today that, that if they're living maybe that first category of stories, uh, a rescue story in one way, that you would just give them courage and hope and joy in the midst of that story. And Lord, I also maybe specifically pray for those who are feeling in the second category, maybe their story doesn't quite have the good ending that they would like to have. Maybe they just can't even see what that ending looks like. It's just way too vague and foggy right now and too dark and painful. And Lord, I pray that you would give resurrection faith to each and every one. But Lord, that you would wrestle within us by your Holy Spirit through the truth of this story and help us to understand your love for us and this reality and the implications that it has for our lives. We pray in Jesus' name.